0: 6.99 per pound.
1: 6.99 per pound. 6.99 per, per, per per pound.
2: Per per, per pound. Per pound. pound. 6.99 per pound. Pound. 99
1: per pound. Hey yo, it's 6.99 per pound.
2: Podcast. Hey yo, what's going on? Once again it's 6.99 per pound podcast. We're live today at Canal Street Market. In the heart of Chinatown, at the Listening Party Podcast Studio, you hear the babies crying in the background. You hear the coffee glasses, you know, clattering. You see people cleaning in the background right now because we live at Canal Street Market. Is that correct? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, uh, we take turns from here to, like, great big story, but... Um, regardless of the room or the condition, we have our expert sound engineer, Marcus, a.k.a. Evac Pleasure, Ham, holding it down, so we're always going to sound crystal clear. Alright, so, um, once again, we, uh, we you know, we're, we're very well known for bringing all these uh, illustrious guests into our show, so today is no exception. Uh, we have uh, somebody who I look up to a lot, uh, somebody who I've known for a long time, but really kind of connected Um, in the recent, I would say like recent year. Um, His name is Robert Lim, you know what I mean? Uh, Formerly a pro skater, uh, representing Houston, Texas, but also representing parts of Los Angeles and also has spent a quite, um, you know, a formative amount of years in New York City as well. And uh, he has worked in the design trade, working for brands such as Zoo York, And uh, most recently, for Saturdays NYC, uh, he helped uh, make this brand, which started off as like a surf shop, pivot into like a pretty much now, uh, I wouldn't say like a major household name, but amongst those that know, knows, you know what I'm saying? And uh, Saturdays, uh, we carry that at Alumni as well. And uh, it's uh, many, many locations out in Japan. Um, Many people out in Japan adore it. Many people around the world adores it. This man is uh, responsible for its design for the past so many years. So... uh,
0: (laughs) Keep it vague.
2: Keep it vague, yes, yes. But uh, most importantly, though, like I chop it up with Rob Young a lot about race, politics, identity. And uh, he has a lot of thoughts about that. You know what I'm saying? And um, I would love to chop it up more about that with him today. But before we go on, though, I got to shout out the sponsors. Okay. Lago Wafers. Shout out to Lago Wafers. Cha Cha Potato Crackers. And last but not least, Apple Cedra. Shout out to y'all for holding us down. On that note, let's let's start chopping it up with Rob Young, man, Mr. Robert Lim. Um, so I, I like to like kind of just start off from your genesis. Um, you uh, you're Korean American by ethnicity. Yes, sir. But um, you know you grew up in Houston, Texas.
3: That's right, born and raised.
2: Born and raised in Houston, Texas. So tell us a, tell us a little bit about like growing up in Houston, Texas. How was that like?
3: Ah, oh, man. Well, my father, um, he went to Texas A&M. So he was one of oh. just a handful of folks that, that were fortunate enough to, uh, you know, be able to go to school overseas. Especially during a time when Korea was so poor that, I mean, you got to think about it, like Korean the, the Korean War ended just not that many years prior to
2: that right it ended in like the early 60s right right right. so for a man who i'm assuming is now in his 70s uh yeah late late 60s
3: yeah late 70s yeah because he had me pretty late right so for Mm -hmm. him
2: to be in texas as an international student back in the 70s till like early 80s that's pretty incredible like yeah yeah or maybe his family came from a lot of like wealth or
3: well, yeah, well, my grandmother, interestingly enough, she was one of the first uh, female pharmacists in Korea. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she had she had built a pretty good uh, pharmaceutical, you know, company. Wow. Uh, you know, just, just through just uh, herself, you know what I mean? And, uh-huh. and just kind of like set up shop. Yeah. Um, and so she acquired she was the one that was kind of like the breadwinner of the entire family wow Mm -hmm. got you yeah which is kind
2: of a rarity in like post-war career yeah Mm -hmm. you
3: know that that caused some issues Mm -hmm. in the house definitely because my grandfather was a pretty stiff dude you know Mm -hmm. so you know that that caused a lot of issues as far as the the masculinity of the man and the house and all that and and, uh that definitely had its effects Mm -hmm. which uh I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit. <laughs> right.
2: So your father comes to goes to Houston, and then he went there with your mother, or
3: yeah. So no, he was he was in Houston going to school, graduated, got his master's at Texas A&M. He did his undergrad at Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma University. Mm-hmm. That's and like that, an
2: interesting story in itself.
3: Like, was he like the only Asian guy in most of these places? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
3: yeah. Until when he got to A&M, and then he had one perfect. The reason why I believe. Uh, he chose A&M cuz there was one professor back then that he had known that was a Korean dude. Oh
1: wow.
2: Who the fuck
3: is that guy? Yeah, we got to get that name. He's a legacy. Yeah. He's probably yeah.
0: the head of um station. Or at least
3: that's what I was told by <laughs> my right, father. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he he went to school there got his got his masters and then um he did a bunch of little things like you know just like any immigrant would try and do like trying like liquor stores and all that uh, you know. So he, even
2: though he went to Texas A&M, he was like doing basically like what we know as what our parents do as immigrant no one's hiring him you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm.
3: white establishment is not hiring no you know in but he went to like uh
2: he went to the same college as everybody else true but i'm sure he
3: speaks fluent english his i mean his english is fluent enough but you know what i'm saying when he's got that accent going on Mm -hmm. and you know uh white folks definitely have a certain type of way they especially in texas right definitely had a way they they kind of took his aura you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like he he there's definitely a difference right? right people didn't really know how to place even when I was growing up in the 80s they didn't really know where to put me mm-hmm. uh, categorically yeah. right Right. I'm not Mexican I'm not black mm-hmm. I'm, you know what I mean yeah. so
0: I remember watching the interview with you and Julie for Not Your Average this amazing uh, show that Julie hosts um, but you mentioned of like feeling like kind of a lot of loss and when you kind of felt found the subculture of skateboarding you're like hey they don't really look like anybody else either and yeah, you yeah, kind yeah. of were attracted to that i think jk you mentioned like maybe hip-hop was kind of that avenue for you mm. of just kind of like i you know people keep saying i talk differently people keep saying this like where am i where am i belonging and you know you kind of go towards a fringe of society right, right and right. now it's weird because now it's cool and hip and mainstream right, right. but then a lot of the guests that we've been talking to who are who feel very authentic to that culture they're like yeah it's weird like we used to be the weirdos it is
3: weird right it yeah. is weird especially right. because you know you used to get teased as a skater you used to get teased in school because you were the outcast wow. mm-hmm. this you know was, was before
0: skater boy oh Albert yeah, yeah <laughs> come on this is like 10 years before skater boy oh, at least man.
3: you know okay. what I'm saying? we're talking about early 90s mm-hmm. you know um and it was a funny time. But but skateboarding definitely kind of saved my life and, and, and really my identity, I feel like. Because as soon as I started skating, I felt like I could really be just whoever I was. Because, you know, I also grew up... You know, like I had an uncle that was 10 years older than me because he was born real, real late. Oh. <clears throat> and he used to live with us in Houston. And he was a big dude, which also broke a lot of weird stereotypes because he was... Uh, in high school, he was a, the starting linebacker and he was getting offers from A and M and you know Well, Texas he's a tag. Korean guy. Who yeah was yo, a starting he was, linebacker. Yo, he was like two thirty solid, like, you know, six wow. one. You know what I mean? Wow. He was a solid dude. And so he was he was getting offers left and right and he got in a little bit of trouble because you know he was um he was ganged up. Right. You know what I mean? And he, he you know, can't got talk it. too much about it, but right. he had to go back home for a minute. Right. And um you got know, it. basically what ends up happening is, you know, he introduced me to Early tribe, you know, Sotiji. You right. know what I mean. Like he, he was kind of h- holding it down on both both ends of the. So he was spectrum. putting
2: you on to a lot of like subculture, like music. Yeah, yeah,
3: all of that. Because he was friends with all the kids on the team that were black. So he, mm-hmm. he right. you know, that's that's who he basically kind of identified with. Yeah. Right.
2: You know. So through that, you were able to like streamline that into like music culture, right. which I'm sure that it had an influence on you eventually. Right. Uh, finding out skate culture as well.
3: Oh, hundred yeah. percent. Right. Because the way I've discovered skating was there was a company back in the day called World Industries. I think it's still around maybe, but back in the day that was like the kind of the upper echelons of skateboarding because right. to me, because it was fellas like Cream Campbell, Clyde Singleton, Daywon Song. Right. I mean, they were all minorities. Right. And and to me in Texas, I thought skateboarding was a white thing.
2: Right, okay. Right. So
3: when I came out to Cali and I first really see this group of fellas that i'm like wait a minute they look like the wu-tang clan right right you know what i mean so like i i i immediately was like what is that i gotta do that i gotta pick that up got you
2: so wait you didn't pick up skating until you moved to california yeah officially Officially, Mm -hmm. officially yeah so tell us a little bit about like um your time that you spent in houston texas about that experience and then um you know how why did you transition into california uh
3: my father had a newspaper he was he got the license to to basically um do his own section of the korea times
1: korea <gasps> times wow in like texas area
3: yeah so he he was given the rights over the southern states so texas and the mixed southern states so the bread must have been pretty good hey when we were first growing up i mean we had a nine bedroom house Oh uh, three-car garage, and he was the only one that drove with full of cars. You wow. know, his whole thing was Cadillacs and Alfa Romeos. <laughs> Nine-bedroom.
0: Yeah. Bigger Yo, in Texas, Cadillacs. they say. Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
3: In Texas?
2: Wow. wow. Okay. okay. So, so he was doing it up. like He, he was doing well. it for
3: a minute. He was doing mm-hmm. it for a minute. I'm not going to lie. Until, um, he was doing pretty well for himself. Yeah, okay. he was doing pretty well until uh, early 92 hit and when the L.A. riots uh, happened in L.A., um, Lot, can I curse on this?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. A lot, a lot of sh- I'm <laughs>
1: I was trying to talk. If normal. you haven't noticed, <laughs> I'm, just to, I'm
3: just trying to talk normal. <laughs> um, no, but uh, that that had a, a pretty big effect on all Korean communities um, in America at the time. And and Houston being such a smaller community, um, it shocked us a minute because I think for my folks, they weren't sure what they were supposed to do, being in 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 the position that they were in, especially for my father. So um i don't know all the details because i was pretty young at the time i was 11 12 years old right um but i do know that my father folded up the shop he he well why did he fold it do you know is it because
2: the circulation died down a lot of koreans started leaving texas like what happened
3: no i think i think actually the korean population was starting to
2: grow because they left la to move to other parts of the states i'm assuming right
3: Perhaps. I never even thought about that, but maybe. Uh, I don't think that was exactly the case. Mm -hmm. I think my grandmother was already living in California with my aunt. Gotcha. um, And my mother's side of the family also had moved to California. So everybody was kind of like, oh, shit, some shit's going down in L.A. Mm. Maybe we need to go out there and see what's up and Mm. and just restart our whole thing. Because, Mm. you know, for some reason, something happened between what the rival newspaper company... I think it was uh, either Chosun Ilbo or Chungang Ilbo. Yeah, Chungang Ilbo. Chungang Ilbo was trying to shut Shots your father fire. down. I think so. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I mean, I don't know all the details. Again, I don't know what what they beef for the Korean newspapers. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, we we ended up moving out to Cali because grandma was there. My, my other aunts were there. Mm. Um, and we when we get out there. You know, we were on fumes because, you know, he basically kind of... My father went through this crazy, uh, real religious kind of a discovery moment. He went, like, two weeks without eating and fasting and shit and went upstairs in the, in his office never came out. Um, and it was a really weird time. It really affected me because later on, you know, it's something that I adopted too. You know, in my early 20s, I, I really adopted a lot of that religious kind of... Um, Kind of practice, yeah.
0: Yeah, like self-punishment or...
3: (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. I think I think for the most part, maybe my father felt like a little bit guilty that we were doing so well and everybody else wasn't.
0: Mm -hmm. You know
3: what I'm saying? Because this is 92. You got to understand, like this is...
0: Everybody else as in...
3: You know what I mean? Like Koreans, mm
0: -hmm. right?
3: Right. Because, you know, you got to understand in 92, Korea was still so very poor. Yeah. right? Right? I've talked to like... You know, just working on Saturdays, I hired a Korean dude and, and just talking to him, too. And he's, like, 10 years younger than me. Right. You know, nearly 10 years younger than me. And and we were talking about the 90s. He was like, yo, I remember how tough it was. We used to eat just ramen for dinner every night. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It, it, it used to be really, really, yeah. you know. So it's funny how that's, anyway, we can talk about another time. But, like, you know, that's. Um. So I think when we moved out to California, it was a huge eye-opener for me because Houston's first of all i was the only asian kid right Right. so i was put into esl even though i spoke fluent english because they didn't know what you know they felt like you know
1: (laughs) wait
2: hold on that doesn't make any sense how do you mean wait you speak like i was in esl because i didn't speak english oh i spoke
3: fluent english wow and then they
2: still put you in esl
3: yeah What the
0: fuck i don't got i don't got a normal face to them you know what i mean wow that's fucking this is houston texas yeah Houston you know, Texas. That's, George Bush. that's what's crazy when I like talk to my friends who like I grew up in LA where and I went to a school that was seventy percent Asian. So like right, right, when I right, yeah. came to New York, I was like, wow, there are not a lot of Asians. Right. And then like, you know, New York Everything is
2: subjective, yeah, right? Everything no, like, then, yeah, And yeah.
0: I have friends who are just like, Oh my god, here there's cool Asians and then there's you know hipster Asians. There's there's all these different types of Asians because like for them, right, they yeah. were just the one yep, Asian. Yep. Right. And they didn't really know and all they have have a reference for is like T V. So they're all almost like racist against themselves i'm just like oh i guess i can just be that you know so that's that's a crazy that's actually a big
2: topic races against yourself wow that's kind of a new terminology
3: but I'm tight though (laughs) self-hate man
2: (laughs) no new. That
0: that ain't ain't. new. no for sure that's
3: that's real yeah
0: so you grew up though you went from being the only one to white there's more of me yeah but not really because i talk different Mm -hmm.
3: whoa all these all these Asian American kids, right? Mm. But I couldn't, I couldn't relate. Mm-hmm. I couldn't relate because these kids grew up amongst other Asian American kids, right? right? So in high school, I used to get in the fights with the white kids mm. and the Asian kids. Mm. Oh. The Asian kids, even though they didn't speak their own native tongue, they would be calling me a sellout. Mm-hmm. And then the white kids were obviously, you know, they used to go around in school yelling death. They used to go Death.
0: What?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yo, they used to be walking Marcus around. Marcus is like,
0: the only one who
1: got it. <laughs> Yo, they'd be uh-huh. they'd
3: be they'd be walking around and going uh-huh. death. Uh huh. You know, whenever they saw like an Asian kid or a minority kid in oh. the school,
1: right? Oh.
3: And so, Wait, I I what don't does get, that I don't, mean? What Why? does that mean? I don't get nah, it. Nah, just death, death, death to all the minorities. You know, just oh, death to oh, I think it's oh, death, shit.
0: death. Like I'm
3: gonna kill you. Oh my god. That type yeah, death. yeah, death. Oh my
0: god. What? Yeah,
3: it's like black metal type shit. You know what I mean? Like wow. they, you know, they were they, you know, and so I was like, what? So you know I'm 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 getting to arguments on both sides, oh. and it was the skateboarders that were like the mixed group. I had like a mixed group of black kids, Hispanic kids, Asian kids. You know what I mean? That it was like held you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah.
0: What What do you think was about skating that attracted like this? I mean, you know, you look from the outside and they're very diverse, but it started somewhere, right? Is it just like the mindset of like? everyone can skate everyone can grab a board like why how are they so much more diverse than other activities
3: well i think uh during my time anyway it was because we all have broken homes Mm -hmm. so if you look at any skateboarder today that grew up in the 90s skating that picked up a board it was usually because they had they were coming from a broken home or something wasn't good in their life Mm -hmm. right so that attracts you know you're you're attracted to your you know your own kind right Right. so like when you go to school you know which one of them kids is like you Mm -hmm. right right so as soon as you start talking with them you know you can kind of tell you're like okay something ain't right at home or something right you know you don't talk about it right so that's kind of i feel like that's kind of how we related like i got to um in 92 when i was 12 just about to turn, turn 13 uh we moved to Costa Mesa of all places.
2: Where's Costa Mesa? Give me Yo, some that's reference. Or, OC, that's Orange, Orange County. County. Yeah, that's middle that's of nice. white
3: America. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Got A like conservative white America. Okay. yeah.
2: There's a lot of Republican votes out there. Mm-hmm. I see. A hundred percent. Okay.
3: right. And so that, that was a little tough for me. But even in, in amongst those folks, you know what I mean? There, there was a lot of kids that, were, that w- were brought up having a tough time. Then I went to Irvine for about a year. Okay, and then that's when my folks started to kind of disintegrate, and when I was fifteen, I moved up to Glendale, mm-hmm. which is just north of L.A. You're from Glendale, right?
0: No, I'm, I'm from San Marino. I'm sorry, but then Glendale is <laughs> very not Korean. too far. far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. super close. Yeah, super close. yeah, got, you. yeah,
3: yeah. Got, you. got you. Not too far. Yeah, and Glendale was, uh, you know, a lot of Armenians. Shout out to the Armenians. Mm-hmm. You know, right, yeah. right. They hold it down out there, um, but I was just friends with like the Filipino kids, right? Because you know the Korean kids had their own type of way of being that, that I had a hard time relating with out there too. Right. You know, so uh, the Filipino kids were the ones I were like, that I was going with, you know, my buddy John John, we were always going after school to uh, Fat Beats. I don't know if y'all remember Fat Beats. Of course, Beats. yeah. yeah. I, used to,
2: I used to work at the location on uh, West, West, I think, A- West Ace and 6th Avenue. The New York location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah on yeah, yeah, top yeah. of the bagel shop. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm familiar. This is Los yeah.
3: Feliz. I- I'm talking about Los Feliz West, uh, right, right, West right. Coast, obviously. Right. You know, uh, Babu was working the shop. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, you know, that was... That's kind of how I grew up, you know what I mean? And then that's kind of how I got my introduction to Asian-Americans.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right, because, like, Filipinos, they were always, like, the cool Asians, especially <laughs> yeah. in the 90s.
3: <laughs> like, I
2: actually, at one point in my life, I wanted to be Filipino. Oh. Like, I wanted to, like, you know, like... Because, like, yo, Filipinos just had, like, the illest parties, man. Yeah. You go to their crib, and, you know, they got, like, the, the fucking... The the, the the whole pig roasted you know yeah, like the true. aunties the aunties really? would all yeah the aunties all knew how to mm. like dance and shit oh, like yeah, yeah. the girls just moved better too like you know <laughs> compared to the Korean shorties at the time I'm not saying <laughs> hey no, no disrespect to the Korean shorties it's out there right Korean now <laughs> I'm just thrill. saying I'm just saying Filipino shorties they kind of had like mm. You know, like the righteous moves. You okay. know what I mean? And all the Filipino dudes were <laughs> like. Let me let me
3: explain something. B boys
2: were skaters. Were
3: hey, sorry to cut you off, but let me explain <laughs> something though. If you think about, if you look at the late seventies and the early eighties, Koreans were the Filipinos. You take a look at like Kim chuja or like right. you know what I mean, Nami, or you look at those old
2: like. OG Like singers Yeah definitely Yeah mm. nah for sure <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It has a lot to influence From the American army bases Because yeah, they exactly, were like Servicing yeah. them But you know Filipinos They kind of got that culture as well Because True. America was exactly. also yeah, no. Over there That's, That's why they have All those cover bands yeah. You know what I'm saying Yeah, Yeah But on that note So you really Associated with a lot of the flip the the kuyas, the kuyas, <laughs> the flips and the, kuyas, <laughs> the noise, Yeah. you know what i mean and then um you got down with them and then the skate culture you you really got sucked in and you said that um your parents were kind of like starting to um break apart like you know started yeah. to go their separate ways yeah. how did that like influence your life and what age were you when this started happening
3: well i was 15 i was 15 and and i had a 11 uh, year old sister got you and um This is where religion starts to take over because now that I think about it as an adult, you know, I kind of went through like a maybe a small shock uh, kind of a situation in my own head. Trauma? Maybe. I don't know. It didn't feel like trauma to me. It just felt like, you know, it's just life, what it is, whatever. So, you know, when when we got moved up to Glendale, I had to live with my grandmother because, you know, we didn't have a home to be in, right? So as soon as I turned 18... I just got custody of my sister and we...
2: Wait, you got custody of your younger sister? Yeah,
3: I got the power of attorney.
2: Because your parents weren't taking we're care absent. of her? Like nobody yeah, was I hadn't there? Yeah,
3: at that point, I hadn't seen my parents in like three years. Where did they go? Well, my, my, So my pops was trying to figure out a new you know, business venture out in Korea. He was trying to...
2: So he moved back to Korea? He moved
3: back to Korea. My mom was freaking out because we were still left in America. And my yeah. mom was like, yo, something's up with your pops. Like, you know, like I got to get out there. I'm like, all right, go, go do your thing. And then my grandmother came to stay with us for a minute. She went out. And then my father came back by himself. He was like, we got to talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Nah, I mean, the talk was quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Korean yeah. yo, Korean pops, <laughs> they, don't,
0: they don't tend <laughs> oh, to talk okay. too much, yeah, man. Yeah, I can relate. So it was a quick talk. But what was it just like, sorry, like I got to nah, go? Nah, he just
3: basically say, hey, listen, your mom's not coming back. You got to move with your grandmother. I got to go back out there and then we'll talk later.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And that was basically it. So we moved up to Glendale and we were like, I guess this is it. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, haven't right? seen him since? No, I seen him once, Uh, you know, in, in early 2000s, I went out there, Um, you know, and that was about it.
2: Eddie, you haven't been talking to him since? No. Mm-hmm. Like, it just disconnect. Wow. No, that's Complete it. Complete disconnect. Yeah. That's wow. It.
0: Hmm. At that age, that's... Yo, that's pretty... That's, that's, that's so deep. crazy. That's deep. And you're... So you're hopping around these, you know quote-unquote good samaritans right yeah um and how long did that occur until you got custody of your sister and you were
3: well that was because i was at my grandma's own. until i was 18 mm-hmm. so uh, as soon as i got i turned 18 i grabbed my sister we went down south to some of these good samaritans like you were saying mm-hmm. quote-unquote and then um my mom came back out of the blue she Mm. came back and uh you know at this point now we were like three years deep living on our own i was 21 um you know my sister was nearly 17 she was in high school and i was man i you know it was weird to kind of see her all of a sudden because and talk to her because all these years had passed and now i had a lot of issues of trust Right. right, so I like I didn't really want her talking to my sis, so I went and met with her by myself first. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Where's your sister?" And I'm, you know, I'm trying to explain to her, "Listen, uh, you know, um, I'm just trying to get to see what the situation is first. Yeah, if you know, you're this stable. Type, yeah, you know, and and she's getting all upset, crying the whole time, which I don't, you know, I don't blame her. Um, but make a long story short, basically, my mom wanted all of us to live together again, and I'm like, "Listen, I'm 20, I'm a grown-ass adult now, and mm. you know." You know, I've been taking care of my sister for a minute. She's like my daughter now. Like I how do you expect this to work? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So um but what happened is my sister, I'm t- I'm talking to my sister about this and uh this really broke my heart. She just came to me one night, she was like, Listen, you know, she didn't mean it this way, but she kinda said it in words that really just stuck in my heart, was like, Listen, I don't think you have the right to tell me whether or not I can live with my own mother. Right? And I want, like, I don't know what it feels like anymore. What it was like to have a mom, man. I was mm-hmm. like, all right, well, well, that's that. You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you, what do you say to that? You yeah. know what I mean? I'm, I'm 21 years old. You know, I'm emotional too. I'm like, of course. You know, so. Um,
0: and you've given up so much too.
3: I mean, I don't feel like I gave up a lot, but you know, it mm-hmm. just, it just what it was, I and mean, so yeah.
0: I mean, I don't you know, know a lot of, 16, 18 year olds who would be taking care of another fully forming human, you know, mm. that you could be going out partying and, you know, especially right, yeah. if you're in like fringe culture, sometimes it's like you, you know, kind of, d- if you don't have supervision or something and you're surrounded by that, it could be, you could easily kind of let go of responsibilities For and sure. no, teenagers, yeah. you don't want to face your problems. You want to run away from them, but you've faced it head on. So yeah,
3: Well, yeah, um, I mean, honestly, that's why I think my sister, my sister's the one that kind of kept me actually, you know, yeah. like it's the opposite. It's like, the whole time when I was thinking, like, I'm the one taking care of her, really, just her existence in itself was taking care of me. Right. Because mm-hmm. you know it I mean? kind
2: of gave you that type of sense of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. That maybe some of your other peers probably didn't have as No, nah, definitely. So, at this time, you were just working, going to school? Like, what was your situation? Yeah,
3: man, I was just like, so, I was working at Baskin-Robbins in high school, okay. making $150 a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Serving ice cream? Uh, junior Scoops. And then your uh, scopes, yo.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but uh no, nah, when I was um uh, senior year in high school uh, in Glendale, um uh, I got my first sponsor. I started riding for this company called Rhythm Skateboards.
2: Oh shit. Yeah. So you yeah. became pro when you were 18, technically. Like you got oh, a sponsorship. Got a sponsor, yeah. yeah, so you yeah. were a pro. Yeah. Yeah. Once no, you're getting- what pro, but, mean, you What does that mean,
0: by the way? Like sponsored versus like what are the steps?
2: So this g- um I mean I mean I'm I'm sure you could do a better explanation sure? but yeah, just yeah, no, at no. least from my understanding yeah. and you could correct me if I'm wrong is that the 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 concept of a sponsored skateboard from like what it was in the 80s and 90s to 2000s is very different i heard Yeah it's so pretty like, different now yeah whereas like in the 90s like you were like if you get free gear or like um and then you get occasionally featured in like a magazine right and then um you get paid for a certain type of like feature or if you model for a magazine, Right, right you know, yeah. that's considered a form of sponsorship, I heard. Right, right, yeah. And then you are somewhat considered a pro at the time. Right, as, if you're getting as, paid for skating, yeah, you, know, getting, yeah. you know, technically.
3: You, so, but I mean, there's so many different steps and stages of it, you know, like right. in the 90s, no amateur, like you basically separated amateurs and pros, mm-hmm. right? And amateurs didn't have a signature board yet. Right. What's a
0: signature board?
3: Like a board with your name on it. Right. So
0: that's like the diff- like that's like I'm varsity that's basically. That's right. That's right. right. Basically. Okay. That, you
3: okay. know. So when I when I was in high school, there used to be a company called Rhythm Skateboards that was To me, I thought that shit was the
0: that, Harvard of Yo, that was
3: dope. <laughs> no, I mean, uh-huh. look, yeah. I'm not going to lie. No yes. disrespect if anyone's listening. Remember mm-hmm. my past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. World Industries was the shit. Girl Skateboards and Chocolate Skateboards was the shit. Menace under World Camp was the shit. But Rhythm was this like kind of outlier that was coming up that was doing some different things that was pretty yeah. dope. Right? Yeah. And so I was just really hyped on them and they had just came out with a video called Genesis. And I don't know how it all happened. I think it was through my shop sponsor or whatever it was, but uh, I think it was. And then I connected to this dude, Mirko, that just started sending me boxes. And I just remember uh, I spent... You know, they asked for a sponsor me tape. That's what we used to do. It's like a demo tape in hip-hop, right? Oh, my God. So you basically (laughs) got to record
2: record yourself doing your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. Yeah,
3: it's like the same shit, right? And then you're trying to look for deals, right? So you you send out your sponsor tapes here and there and all these companies, whatever. So I send it into Rhythm, uh, and uh, I get this call from Mirko, and I remember to this day, man, I was asleep on the couch. I was tired, and my grandmother comes over. She goes, some dudes on the phone for you, I don't know. <laughs> I grab the phone and I'm like half asleep. I'm like, I'm starting to speak in Korean because I'm thinking maybe you know what I mean? Like I don't know who it is, you know? My grandma's giving me the phone. Yeah, so. <laughs>
2: yeah I was like,
3: hey, was And Miracle was like, Robert? Rob, Lu, is that you? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, Oh, uh uh yeah, who's this? He's like, This is Miracle Magnum, man, this is from Planet Earth and Rhythm Skateboards. And that was it, and sent me a box oh and I was God. like, What? And I like just hopped up out of the couch. It's like, "Uh, yes, sir. mm -hmm. Yeah, I got you. mm -hmm. That's my address. Yep, large. Good. I'm good to go. Thank you. Okay, boop.
0: (laughs) Oh my God, that's incredible.
3: Yeah. And you were like 18 at the time. I was 17. 17, Senior wow. Senior year in high school, yeah. That's man. fucking oh Did nuts. Did you tell
0: all your friends and were they just like, dude? Yeah, but
3: there were no like real skaters at my school at the oh, time. Oh,
0: darn. So you, you
2: didn't even have anybody to like... hype you to. up no, and be like, no, what is no, that? No, no, <laughs> nah. oh, I
0: mean, yeah. there was
3: one kid. He was my best friend. This Brazilian kid. He was an exchange student. Uh, going. And to he high was school. an exchange
2: student. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: Brazilian Augusto. Shout out, man. I miss you. <laughs> shout bro. out to And yeah, he was, he was my boy, man. We were, we were going to all the skate spots out in Santa Monica and Venice after school all the time, and uh yeah, he was like hyped. He was like, yo, that's dope. Man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Damn, yeah. that's so cool. But you were seventeen, starting to yeah. get free shit at that time.
3: Yeah, my grandma was tripping like. You ordered that? Uh, <laughs> I was like, did you <laughs> order? What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. This is yeah. for free harmony. <laughs> <This laughs> ta- yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh wow. And she was like, Yeah, but you know, after high school, you gotta grow up. You can't be still playing with them toys, you know?
0: Did she see you skate? Did she know what you were doing?
3: Yeah, but she thought it was just like, you know, like a kid playing around with toys. Yeah, that's all it
1: was. Oh my gosh.
0: And forgive me because I'm not very familiar, but like so. Is there? Do you enter competitions, and that's how you people see who you are? Like, well, how do people discover ways. you?
3: There's multiple ways. But how did
0: they discover you? Well,
3: there's kind of like the contest route, but there's also like the street route, right? Like we were the street route. Like we, we skated street, filmed, shot photos, and that's kind of how we Was did. Was there
0: YouTube back then? No.
3: <laughs>
2: are you crazy?
0: <laughs> You're not know old you. <laughs> <laughs> No,
2: it's like VHS, uh, VHS cassette tapes and then that shit just rotates and everybody just burned them and then they watch each other. Y'all got
0: 36
3: chambers on cassette, oh, right? Oh my <laughs> God,
0: you should frame
2: that. Wait, uh, yeah, seriously. But, but this so, is, that's, that's how it was. And then, you know, all the kids would congregate at skate shops and then they oh, might- Oh, they play it at the shops? They play at yeah, the yeah. shops and then they see each other and then at the time, a lot of magazines existed covering skate, skate culture. So like before like- Every like hipster chick that you see in Williamsburg rock like a thrasher t-shirt. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you know, Thrasher is like
0: <laughs> I've always wondered what that was. It was
2: like the, that was like the top skate magazine, oh. but like there were all these other magazines that were subsects and different ver- variations of it, you know what I mean? They're yeah, I'm ma- press, Jakey. Yeah, when magazine magazines real. were okay. a real okay. thing, when you know to be what I'm
1: saying? Okay. Sk- okay. Not, okay. Not, not, like, <laughs> I
2: tried skating for like two summers and then this shit hurt so much and I was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> this shit. But um, yeah so that's pretty much your entry into this quote unquote like skate world with the big dogs. like that's how people started really recognizing you and you was in l a at the time and um so, and you know, you said you were working at baskin Robbins um and you were like kind of like starting to collect income from like your skate endeavors as well as working a part-time job. and were you going to school at the time or
0: yeah, because I know you took like design classes,
3: yeah, so like High school. I graduated high school barely, and then uh, I took a year off trying to figure out what I was gonna do because I felt like skating was about to pop off. You know, an opportunity to try to do some things with skating because I was meeting all these dudes. Uh, I, I just started filming like with like a real quote unquote professional filmer, and like digital cameras were starting to come out, so it was like a big deal. And uh, yeah, just trying to do that, and I filmed my very first like I guess you could I mean it sounds kind of corny to say but like my debut part or whatever oh you my want god It's it
1: on YouTube? And, uh, <laughs> put it on
3: YouTube it's called New Horizon or New
1: Horizon, <laughs> New Horizon. <laughs> plug <laughs> put it in the show notes great no nah, but uh-huh. no nah, that
3: was a good time uh, shout out to the 508 crew that was like the Long Beach crew and um, I really looked up to a lot of those fellas and um, yeah like uh, thankfully enough I was part of that video called New Horizon and that kind of like set it off uh, you know for my beginnings and you know I was like 19 at the time and I remember seeing like footage of myself after filming with my homie cams, you know, sending my sponsor me tape to now this. I was like, whoa, yo, I look legit. (laughs) I remember thinking that. Right. Yeah. So that's how kind of how, so, you know. um, And then when we kind of like moved in with um, one of the families down south, you know, that lady was like, you know, Rob, you got to really focus in on going to school, this Mm -hmm. and that. So, you know, I, I started going to a community college. Just near near around there. And my whole thing was just, you know, I didn't even know. At the time, I didn't really realize what graphic design was. But I was taking these art classes and a, and a product design class. It was like color and design, but it was like a mixture of a bunch of things, right? So, you know, we're being able to, like, do some typography, but also doing, like, package design. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, trying to mimic like Kit Kat packages, but in like a large scale. And mm. You know what oh. I mean? Like doing that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And so uh, that's what I was kind of doing. And then I started writing for a company called Alpha Numeric.
1: Yeah, of
2: course. Yeah, yeah. Alpha Numeric was wow. dope back. You Wait, know, Aliyasha shout out. I mean, if, do you want to break it down? I don't want to. Yo,
3: I feel like Alpha Numeric was probably the real first kind of streetwear brand. Honestly. You know what I'm saying?
0: Okay. And it was in uh, based in California?
3: It was based in San Diego at the time. But Ali Asha is like a legend. He's like a legendary, like, East Coast designer. Mm-hmm. He right. did Zoo York, shut before Zoo York. Uh-huh. Right. And then, uh, yeah, he came out and did that. And that's what opened my eyes. If I was like, whoa, that's how you make all this? Because, you know, before that, you're just thinking about, like, the, just a product, right? right? And so I was running for them for about maybe, maybe a little, about a year. And then um, LRG started popping off. Right. And, I met Jonas at a video premiere.
2: Rest in peace to Jonas. Yeah,
3: R.I.P. Man. Yeah, he was like my older brother, man. Um, But he's really the one that like put the bug in me, cause he was dating a Korean girl at the time, and he was designing these jeans with some Korean words on it, right? Mm. So he was asking me about that, like, yo, how do you, you know, is this right? Whatever, whatever. What do you think? And then he just started showing me everything. He was like, yo, this is like the fabrics, like we do. And then like, I was like, whoa, this is how this all gets made. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, I was like, yo, this is this is fucking ill, man. Like, yo. And man. like
2: what is it about Jonas? So like for those of us, uh, for the listeners that don't know, like, um, LRG at one point, I believe I would say like in the early two thousands to like the late two thousands was like this premier hip hop influence, subculture influence fashion brand that uh was very well known for um these animal prints. Yeah, um, yeah on their denim on their hoodies and um they were one of the first like uh hip-hop influenced fashion brands that actually just kind of um uh, supported subculture as a whole so like it mm-hmm. wasn't just like rock aware like a niche where it was nah, like, nah, just yeah. sponsoring rappers like they actually sponsored skaters artists um they would do campaigns with like rap artists that were a little bit more niche, a little bit more um, left mm-hmm. field. So they embraced and, um, it before. Yeah, so it else. was like, I don't know how to like describe it perfectly, but like what you see in streetwear like now, um, they were kind of like at the forefront of all. Oh, of that. 100%. Like yeah. before. Jonas was a real visionary. Yeah, yeah. before any of that yeah. happened. And um, Jonas being a Filipino cat who um, really utilized social media as well, like, at one point, like, MySpace Mm -hmm. and all those channels, Mm -hmm. like, you know, for young kids like me, like, that was, like, an idol. You know what I'm saying? And then, um, so, on that note, you were down with LRG as a writer. Yeah, I was
3: writing for them. And and then what is
2: it about this guy, Jonas, that, like, you felt like, yo, he was just, like, embracing, like, because you never hear anything bad about this guy.
3: um, Yeah, yeah, because... He he was always just open arms, man. He, right. he just he, he was a visionary. I feel like when you're a visionary you don't have you don't have those kinds of like hang ups or a chip. Right. You know what I'm saying? So he no matter who he met, I feel like he was always open arms and trying to like understand them before he was trying to make them understand who he was. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh. You feel me? That's a gem right there, man. That's awesome. That's fire. Yeah. Uh So
0: you briefly mentioned that he was like a big brother to you. So seeing him be successful in something that you were interested in, do you think that really did inspire you to be like, I could do this maybe?
3: Well, it definitely inspired me to like get into thinking about fashion a little bit. Yeah. For sure. Because, you know, I mean, think about how visionary he was, is that when Kanye was just... Barely known in in the industry as as like Jay Z's producer, uh-huh. right? Right? Yeah. He wasn't rapping. He had no album mm. out. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Jonas gave him an ad. There was an LRG ad of Kanye. Yeah,
2: like Kanye wow. was in like every uh, major, like I would say like hip hop subculture magazine because of the LRG ad. Yep. And he was, yeah. like, flaunting his Rockefeller chain in there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then
3: be, like, half the folks that's looking at it, they don't even know who he is. Right. But Jonas knew. He already knew. You know what I'm saying? Like so he, he was a gonna be. Maker. Yeah. No, yeah, 100%. Like, hands mm-hmm. down. Like he, yeah. he knew exactly what time it
1: was. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right.
0: So, you know, wh- when we have guests that are so... Um, they have such diverse backgrounds in, like, terms of career, it's really hard for us to kind of pinpoint and, and focus on how the different... Parts of their life interconnect. And so you are a skateboarder, but you also have this really, what other people would envy a really amazing fashion career. So in terms of how that relates to each other and you said in previous interviews that it's almost like a cliche but I think nowadays well, now, yeah. Yeah. and nowadays you know like John Elliott for example like and oh, Justin man. Bieber and you <laughs> know like his whole show and his whole thing is you know skating influencing fashion fashion influences skating he yeah. did a fashion show at a skate park this year yeah. Char- so, Rebecca, yeah. yeah so you see that and you know as someone who's an OG in like kind of both fashions and like street style in addition to skate like was that something that came later to you of just like this is such a cliche now? And and how do you feel as someone who authentically represent both sides? Like where do you find your place in it?
3: No, uh listen, I mean, I gotta be careful because uh I wanna I wanna make sure I support all those things mentioned. Mm-hmm. But it is tough. It's tough because I kinda feel like, you know, especially in the nineties and the early two thousands, you know, we weren't we weren't looked at as popular culture. You know what I'm saying? We weren't, and it's and it's weird to now be an adult, as a grown adult and a father, looking mm-hmm. at how it's almost weird now if you didn't skate.
1: Yeah.
3: Right. Um, yeah. You know because I, you know this is another cliche thing like everyone always talks about like oh when we were younger, you you'd be at some spot. And some dude be walking by had some skate shoes on, and you would give each other the look, you know. You know what I'm saying? Like, you you talk about that, but now it's like none of that matters, right? So, uh, going back to your question, Mm -hmm. uh, it's tough. What I wanted to do, and the reason why I wanted to work for Saturdays was that Saturdays, to me anyway, I don't know if this was the purpose or not, but to me anyways, I interpreted Saturday as being a brand that could offer product and a representation of folks like me who are older, that grew up in this culture, uh, that had that representation in a nicer way, right? So, I'm going to mention a brand like WSC, for example, I don't know if y'all know right, about of course, that back yeah. in the day, but they were a little bit ahead of their time because they didn't have no place to put their shit in, Right. right. There were no Kyles or Essence or mm-hmm. any of those stores back then. So they, they came out. The only places they had to put in were skate shops.
0: So because they wouldn't sell. Well, they, uh-huh. like, where
3: would they go and sell it? Like you know, They didn't have no fashion so, retail yeah, outlets. So just, you know just to kind of break okay. down what
2: WeSC was, it was like how you ex- describe it. That It was like when skate kids and these subculture kids grew up, mm-hmm. what did they gravitate towards? Like a, and that was what WeSC, this brand, was trying to embody. Right. Yeah. yeah,
1: Which was
3: nice. They were, you know, they were out of Sweden. They were doing something that was like design driven and not like so much the nuances of like certain types of culture, but it was like about the product. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which I really appreciated because, you know, not to digress, but like you know, I grew up when my pops was doing well. My mom's was having like Hermes bags and like you know Louis V's mm. all around us. And so you've I was, seen some you know good know shit. What I'm, I'm like,
0: yeah, that's just nice. She was you know? like the <laughs> Chambondong <Chun> at <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know
3: what I mm. mean. So like, to me, I, I you know I always appreciated nice shit. You know, right. like I I, w- I w- always want to be around nice shit. Yeah, right. Uh, but also at the same time though, I wanted to be real and authentic to me and how it represents me. I don't, I don't want to just be like laying down a couple bills just like you know with no style right so yeah that's the thing that i really wanted to gravitate toward or what i was gravitating yeah. towards yeah. and so i felt like saturdays even though you know it wasn't skate it was surf i felt like it was close enough yeah. and i think i felt like they understood that mm-hmm. initially mm-hmm. right so their shop when they opened up on crosby it was like to me an adult skate shop mm. when they added the coffee element for sure when i walked in i was like this is it. This is the adult skate shop. Because I used to go in as a kid into a skate shop to watch videos and hang out. Yeah. And that's where I got my information. Yeah. And that's where I grabbed my influences. When I went to Saturdays in the early days, I felt like grabbing a coffee there and hanging out in the backyard. I saw some pretty key people talking about some shit. And I felt like this is what this is. Right. This right. is this a is community, where. It, a right. hub. Exactly. You know what I mean? I would see people, everybody from like the guns to like cons as in mark gonzalez,
2: mark gonzalez yes mm. yes you know legendary I mean? skater
3: yeah yeah you know yeah. so like I, I felt like i was right at home
0: yeah uh, it was know? almost like you came back to where you started yeah mm-hmm. yeah but like
3: in that elevated
2: adult yeah. version yeah. of yeah it, and you're right? kind of
0: literally creating like a new version of what that is Yeah. right right so how did you meet this person um who runs this and how, how did you become the head designer and what does that well,
2: mean? of Saturdays? Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: right. But just just so um
2: just so the yeah. listeners know, like, and I just I would like to just uh, take the liberty to kind of sum up yeah. how'd you ended up over there. Um, I oh, personally, so you know the story. I know a little bit. Okay, well give enough, us a you know what I'm version. So I first met Rob Young. So I was an 18 year old shorty, you know what I mean? And um, he nah, was available. working at Zoo York at the time, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah I, he was working so at Zoo York at the time.
0: I saw that he. I was working at a zoo, and I thought you meant an actual zoo. <laughs> so I was
2: nah, he not wasn't not working at Bronx so like, Zoo. Oh, no. New York. no,
1: I literally <laughs> thought
2: so he was working at a zoo. Zoo York at one point, was a was a legendary skate True. brand, uh, yes. lifestyle brand. Now everything makes it sense. And got, then it got acquired by Mark Echo, who oh. also owned Complex at and the he, time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he had all his imprints under one building on Twenty Third Street. Mm-hmm g-unit was also on the top floor 50 cent actually had a bulletproof like a yeah. little oh, you remember entryway that. Mm-hmm. yeah i remember all that yeah. um, so you
0: were in that building same i was building.
2: i was an intern i was like a young come up kid you know what i mean trying to like shake hands with everybody that i thought it was legit mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah i remember and, and, Donnie said and, uh, the same
0: thing apparently and, uh, 18 was a pivotal moment i was for
2: yeah i was 23rd street shout out to all the sva shorties that was, that was going back time, and man. forth was and going time. to school and all that so i saw rob young and then um through over the years, I kept seeing him whenever like these um uh these guests from Korea would come in town, like DJ yeah, Soscape right, right. and right, people right, right, like right, that. Right. So we kept like seeing each other and one of our um big youngs, his name is Peter Chung, aka Cool Pete.
3: Oh, yeah, who was really.
2: like is like the most low key motherfucker you ever meet, but then he kinda did some of the most pivotal moments in the like God. streetwear subculture. So, you know, I would used to just go to his studio in Soho just to like...
3: Oh, I was working there, actually. Yeah, at one point, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. then
2: I would always see Rob Hyung there yeah. as well. And then, um, so he, you was like just doing different design work. Yeah. And then maybe like two or three years ago, I just saw him skating down Canal Street. And I was like, oh, Hyung, yo, what you been up to? And it was like, oh, I'm at Saturdays now. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And yeah. that was it so on that note that's
1: it that's, <laughs> right. but, yo, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding.
2: but yo that yeah. was like uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a good summation yeah. right yeah. it's like yeah, I, I've seen good. you that's in different good. stages of your yeah, head, uh, design yeah. career yeah. No, so you sure. obviously kept your skate identity mm-hmm. but you were working at yeah. New York you were working yeah. with Peter Young um, and then you ended up working with Saturdays um, as a designer and then you eventually moved on up into becoming um, the head, head designer design, yeah. for this brand yeah. right. which pivoted into a uh, I wouldn't say it's like Ralph Lauren, or something, but nah, it's like yeah. it has like a cultural significance in many I markets, hope so. no, as, markets. As you are, so. say,
0: like people who know, know, yeah, like what many markets Saturday around is. the world. No, it's yeah. the
2: type of brand that like you would see, like Ethan Hawke, wear, you know, what mm-hmm. I mean, where no, like, uh, sure. like an Anthony Bourdain type would wear, you yeah. know, okay. like uh, mm-hmm. people that grew up in soap culture who, hey,
3: yeah. but don't forget Jay Z and Kendrick Lamar, Jay Z and K. Dot,
2: wear it as well. So yeah, so, yeah, so. Um, that's the type of brand yeah. Saturdays is. So yeah. as we continue on, let's get back into yeah. uh, the and, situations And
0: one thing I wanted you to touch on too was that um, you initially came in not as a designer. You that was something you transitioned into, right? Because right, right. you, I, I read in an interview, and you can totally correct me because the internet might be wrong, is that you kind of helped them um, start to design merchandise or yeah, you were doing photos at the time mm-hmm. yeah you were just doing yeah. photos and um, <clears throat> editing and d- d- design work and you transitioned into like doing beanies and shirts and stuff and yeah. just wanted to, you to touch on like how you kind of transitioned into um, entering different roles in the company and then eventually having leaning into that completely
3: hustle times
0: yeah hustle mm-hmm. yeah
3: nah it was like mid 2000s uh, I wrote for a company out here in New York which is what brought me out here yeah. uh, called Fibro. And uh, Fabro Skateboards um, was creatively directed by another older brother type figure to me, uh, Mark Nardelli, shout out, like, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here today. Um, He basically kind of took me under his wing. So I was at Flushing Metal Park skating one night like 3am mm, and I will start right have, by the globe yeah, no at, at, the globe. at the globe at the okay. globe at the globe open? cause it's lit up wow. at night. I mean
1: this is oh. like
2: out in the open
3: you yeah know I mean? no it's a great yeah. place to skate in the middle of the night so. it's kind of a legendary
2: spot for yeah, a lot of skaters 100%. yeah absolutely 100% that's
3: why I chose to live in Queens because of tri called Quest you know what I mean and <laughs> because of the globe
2: <laughs> yeah Trap Call Quest, a war tour video, how to glow. Exactly. In there. Yo,
3: that's where it all connected for me. Uh. Anyway, so, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm stressing out because I'm feeling like I'm out here and I'm just doing my skate thing. But, you know, start, things are starting to get a little tough because, you know, uh, Fabro is a small company. Uh, my checks are getting smaller and smaller because, you know, everyone's having a hard time with, with their products. And I hit up Nardelli and I was just like, hey, listen, I got to figure out my career. Because the skating thing, obviously, has got a timetable. And so he was just like, look, just come in tomorrow. You know, I can't pay you for the first three months, but I can buy you lunch. Just come in. I know you worked on some things. I know you were, you know, uh, a graphic design dude originally. So come on in. I was like, I'm there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I showed up. And basically, I was working on all the uh, lookbooks and, and the catalogs uh-huh. for, like, the first year almost a year whatever he started paying me after three months thank god and uh that was at the same time i was working with uh cool pete um he hit me up and he was like listen you want to work on some undefeated and some anything because anything was uh, aaron was i think trying to yeah kind of relaunch at the time and so i was like all right I'll bet and then um one night it was like one o'clock in the morning i was still working on just like what i was doing was i was like clipping all the product shots for the catalog, right? I was like cutting out all of them cuz everyone's everything's got to have like a seamless background. huh And uh the uh VP of merchandising comes downstairs. VP
2: of merchandising for for New York. Oh, for New York. Yeah, okay. he
3: comes downstairs and he was like, "Listen, we're looking for somebody who can come up and just be like a you know, start kind of assisting on the apparel end." And I was like, "All right. Well, uh i just hit him up i just shot him an email real quick was like listen why don't you give me a shot you know what i'm saying like i know i've just been in the graphics department but just give me a shot and he hit me back like right away it was like yo i didn't even think about that you should come up let's talk and so that's kind of how it all started and at first he just kind of had me managing all the uh graphics you know for the for the t-shirts um you know, shout out to Grotesque. He was like the art director at the oh, time. Oh shit, Grotesque yeah. was the art director? Yeah, yo, oh,
1: wow. she was dope.
2: Grotesque is, uh, how, how
1: would Kimo I describe Meier. him? He's
2: like, a, he's like legend, an artist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Artist, um, legend. Just you know? a fine artist. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know other, any other way to describe it. Yeah, he's yeah. a fine artist. Yeah. Wow, that's And what, so, that's yeah,
3: like, up. you know, just just kind of like making my, just and paying the, my dues. Yeah. You
0: know? Wait, so they just said yes? They're like, sure?
3: Well, I mean, you know, I came up, I talked to them. I was like, listen, what's the needs? Maybe I can help in some way i'm sure like he had like you know i'm sure
2: they felt like okay this guy actually knows what he's doing you know before they said i don't know
3: about that
1: (laughs) (laughs) they were just being generous Mm -hmm. i
3: think they felt like you know they needed somebody to just start managing just how all the tissue graphics were being handled development wise Mm -hmm. and then i think like a week later uh the dude was like listen i got this like special project for macy's Right, like an SMU program. I was yeah. like, what was SMU? Yeah. It's like yeah. special makeup. You know, I was oh. like, oh, okay.
2: That's like limited. Uh, and that yeah. Means, yeah. It's like limited quantity. Ooh. Yeah.
3: So he was like, listen, just think of ways we can, you know, kind of renew this kind of capsule, you know, shirts yes. for Macy's, whatever. I was like, bet. I took that home. And as soon as I got home, I worked on it every single minute until I got back to the office. Mm. I didn't oh sleep God. that night. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah, I was like yeah, yeah. I gotta get I gotta get this going I gotta get this yes, popping so yes. he knows what time it is you know right and so um so yo I've, they loved it and they you know oh they sold God. it pretty well I think um, and so yo as cliche so as awesome. it is yo
2: like what you just did right there is like 8 miles Eminem quote if you have one chance do not yes you know what I mean do not blow this opportunity man
0: mm-hmm. it comes totally. once in
2: a lifetime yeah you know what I'm yeah,
0: saying? Yeah, no, I, I, I when, definitely jumped on that. And when you were getting into designs and stuff, like how much, I mean, I guess it just comes naturally to you, but like the skating element in terms of, and I don't know, like, did you think of the outfits that you wore in the past or the things that the the ska- the young skaters were doing or how much of that influenced your design or... Do you not really think about it because you're just like, this is just how I, what I like?
3: Well, listen, growing up, I always had two closets. Okay. You know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> okay. I always
3: had two closets. And, and and a lot of people that I'm speaking to right now, they'll understand what I'm talking about because I had the shit that I skated in and I had the shit that I chilled in, mm. right? So it's very similar to sneaker oh, culture okay. where, you you know, you, you buy one, you rock one.
1: Yes. You, you know okay. what I'm saying? Meaning yeah, yeah, like yeah. you buy two pairs, right? Okay.
3: And I always had... A separate closet for the shoes that I just chilled in, like the Timberlands and the, you know, the Clarks, the Wallabies, and whatever has you, and then I had the closet where it was like the skate shoes that I skated in, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it was a very easy transition for me to think yes. about to kind of like put that together, Okay. right? Because I was Zoo York at the time when I started designing for them. It, they they were going after the Macy's customers. They were going after like the big crowd, Mm -hmm. right? Like the big mass market, mass market, right? Right. So like, you know, I had to think about how to appease to the normal dude, like right or wrong. Uh, Well, actually it's wrong for me to think this way, but growing up, I always thought there was only two types of people in this world, skaters and (laughs) non-skaters. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's Yo, wrong. I'm just saying, but that's the way I used to think.
2: There's two types of people. Yeah, Whether so you ha- skate or you <laughs> not skate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so it. I had to think
3: about it in those terms in many ways. And so when I had to switch on the non skate, I felt like there were elements in the skate world that, that definitely resonated to the non skater because I realized that it's not coincidence that Spike Jones would use a song in a type of girl or a chocolate video and all of a sudden it's using a commercial. Right, and and now we all know Spike Jones is this like, this amazing Oscar award-winning. You know what I'm saying? But back in the '90s, and the 2000s, nobody knew of him that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I don't think a lot of people, the mass, just normal folks, don't know that he owns a part of Girl and Chocolate Skateboards. Right. Like he comes oh, from wow. skateboarding 100. Oh right.
1: wow.
3: You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. You know, just knowing that and how he's like really good friends with Umberto and and Carol Lim at opening ceremony and right like
0: oh he's that data collaboration on this yeah. show oh wow uh, no absolutely oh, wow. yeah like That's crazy. you know
3: and so I feel like people didn't realize that back in the day but I started realizing that when I started designing like there's definitely a, a really cool kind of a crossover to speak to the audience
0: yes. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because sure. it was
3: just around that time when people were starting to pay attention to what skateboarding was doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So no. that's
3: kind of how I was thinking.
0: Yeah. Totally. But you were saying that you met Rob through different stages mm-hmm. and eventually when he went to Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Can you give us insight into how that actually happened? Like, who? Oh, yeah, that's uh, a did you get story. poached or were you just like, hey, a like, little bit of everything? Okay. A little, you know? bit of,
2: uh, a little bit of capitalism. A little bit of. Culture, <laughs> yeah. a little
3: bit um, of uh, I'm going to try to make this really quick. Uh, basically a dude that I met when I was working for Zoo came through and wanted to uh, talk to me because he was telling me about Saturdays and
0: and was this when Saturdays was like just starting? Ju-
3: yeah it was just starting okay, okay, just starting like they hadn't really they had maybe put out one like t-shirt graphic line
0: okay, for one. Beams okay. and now they have you know the now, full they're catalogs, a full
2: now they have collection. a full yeah. collection yep totally and yeah. like multiple stores around the world right
1: yeah
3: so they had worked with the designer for their first collection and, and whatever. I don't know that story, so I don't know that that didn't work out. But uh, this dude that I kind of met through working at Zoo came through, and he was like the new guy trying to like hit up their production. And he was telling me about it. He was like, listen, why don't you come by the store sometime, and uh, I'll tell you all about it. So I go to the store and Saturdays at the time, all of the design and the production, everything was being done in the basement.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: That's where their showroom was. Wow. Right. So like I went down there and I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Y'all doing all this shit now here. You know what I mean? And, and um, anyway, he was like, listen, next sh- like next November, uh, we're going to be moving into that office over there. You know, 401 Broadway over there. Yeah. And I was like, all right, whatever. He was like, you know, I'm going to get you a desk and all this. He just started talking all this shit. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. You know? <laughs> um, and then, yo, November come and he hits me up. And he's like, yo, you should come by. Come by the Saturday." Oh, so like, they
2: moved to 401 Broadway? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh,
3: shit. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So I'm, I'm going to see you at the shop. He's like, no, nah, we're at 401 Broadway.
2: Just like how he said. Just like mm. how he said. Mm. I was like, yo, my what? Yeah, my word is my word. Yeah, I was like, damn, all right.
3: All right. I all showed up, and up. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is this is crazy. <laughs> and he was like, yo, so this is the deal, right? Like, I started a separate company, that's not Saturdays. Mm. I took him on as a client. Mm.
2: and He's so smart. Like, He's a hustler.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, yo, I got, I got K Robot. I got Peter Manning. I got all these other little brands because I got. This production source in my pocket, mm. and I can utilize that shit. Right? right. I was like, "What? Hi."
0: Right. What do you mean, production source? In what context? So,
3: like, you know, he had he had a connection to China to a group of factories, Oh. Right? Like
0: producing actual producing, like textiles and clothing. Okay. Okay. Right.
3: Right. So I was like, "All right, cool." So I signed on with him, thinking that I was really just signing on with Saturdays, but it wasn't until like a month in I was like, "Oh shit, what did I do?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know what i mean I'm like designing for all these other yeah, shit yeah yeah no it <laughs> was oh kind of crazy so yeah basically he ran an agency
3: he ran an that agency that was
2: designing for all these other companies right. including saturdays right. and then he was utilizing he basically needed a designer to pump the designs to right. run it through his production right 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 so right. wow. there was
3: me and two other dudes that were doing that simultaneously right 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 You know what i'm saying so and i won't lie it was pretty fun for a minute and then um Shit started kind of like Saturday started popping, so they they were like, "Yo, what the fuck is going on down there?" Mm. Right? So they kind of poached me in a in a in a way. Mm. Right, right. And, so and they, they were just
2: w- like, yo. Instead of me using a connect, let me just bring every shit in house. Right, because so they didn't have an in house oh, design yeah, so designer. like might as well oh. just fucking pay in house instead yeah. of paying an agency. That makes sense. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. So capitalism. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know,
0: a lot of designers like that's kind of their intent too. Like they work no, at those things and like get to know these brands. And that's sure. crazy. I mean, yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, that wasn't my intent. Yeah, I was gonna but, say you that know. you were
0: probably like, uh, eh, this is cool. It's like, oh, you want to hire Yeah, me? I just listen.
3: when Zou York got bought out. Uh, for the second time, I just needed to get the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because it was all about Macy's and Payless and, and these big box stores, which, which I was having a real hard time. You know what I mean? So right. um, I was happy to leave, right? <clears throat> and just trying something different. And like I said, I fit really nicely, or at least the I culture. felt like with the culture and everything was Saturdays, because I wanted to do some fashion touching stuff that related to that type of culture, yeah. you know? So. yeah. Um, they so they started poaching me and kind of hitting me up was like yo listen we want to kind of bring you in house right so that you can come in and build a team and you know we can have an in house design and production situation happening I was like yo that's pretty stressful I don't know <laughs> right so I just want to skate <laughs> yo, yeah yo I just, just want to make some I, shit yeah. and just go skate
2: like, right I, I, don't, I don't really know, you know about right? all that yeah. man right. uh, that sounds like a lot of responsibility. yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. So funny enough I was just also Doing some freelance work For Totokayo Oh Right So Jill Wegner uh, Shout out Cause she gave me A little chance too um,
2: Totokayo is uh, Is a boutique That started in Seattle Right That's right and they Damn be- you know you shit Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, My friend used to
0: work there She ran her Instagram
2: yeah, yeah, for sure Nah, that's what's up So they were like Moving out to New York and Yeah, they it was just th-
3: before She she opened up the shop in New York mm-hmm. Gotcha mm-hmm. And, and they um, were
2: trying to create Their in-house
1: line right, and shit, right, right, right,
3: right So it was for her first In-house collection And I was in Paris at the time With my wife Taking our six-year anniversary Mm-hmm Supposed to be a nice vacation And mm. I get this email from both sides I get an email from Toto Kayo From Jill saying Yo here's an offer And then I get an email from Saturdays With an offer And I'm like Oh Paradox shit Paradox of choice Right Yo what am I gonna do Yeah Right oh. <clears throat> I mean ultimately Obviously I chose a Saturdays thing But uh, that shit was crazy It, it got really uh, stressful for a minute But um, I am glad I chose Saturdays I felt like that fit in real well Um and that's basically how it all started. Yeah. I just came in. It was just me. Uh, shortly after, we hired Asmarit. Um, shout out to Asmarit. Love that lady. Um, and uh, we were off and running. You know what I mean? Just started mm-hmm. on our first collection.
1: And
2: this was still happening. Where was this happening? This on was- Broadway. Oh, this was still in 401 Broadway. Yeah.
3: Cause so that dude that started that like design production agency, yeah, yeah. he was on the twentieth floor. Right. And Saturdays was on the twenty sixth floor. Ah. And on the twenty sixth floor at the time it was just a showroom and a sales team. Got you. That was Got it. Gotcha, you. Got right. I mean yo, this is some exclusive shit. No one knows this shit. <gasps> <699 Word. jam. laughs>
0: Can you kind of walk us through like what your day to day like uh, if you were a head designer at a place right. like Saturdays, like what is right. your day to day?
3: Well, you know, that's um there's a lot of different definitions for that. Yeah. In my case it became a little bit of a uh, uh, a little bit complicated I would say in okay. my, from my opinion, from my side.
2: I mean, I'm not a designer uh, but I've been around a lot of designers to know uh, the fashion calendar, spring spring prefall fall pre-spring, pre-spring and back yep, to spring and back <clears throat> spring and then there's like all these in between like holidays and mm. all this other shit, right? But usually you have a production team Usually, you have a tech designer, and
0: what's the production? The so production, production team, team is
2: basically the ones that's like communicating the factory, with the factories, liaison, like that's going them to samples? yeah, okay. no receiving samples, receiving samples, and also like making sure that the quality control is on point. Great. And they're sometimes they're usually the ones that goes to like Asia or different okay. factories to quality QA. control,
1: mm-hmm. QC, QC,
2: yeah, quality control. Yeah. And then there's a tech designer, so you see like a you see like a like for instance this knitwear that you're wearing, like. Okay, like so, the length of this, like the length of that, like this should be uh, using this fabric, you know, like so. There's a tech designer for that, and then there's usually a designer that just does like the actual conceptualizing, the the sketching, and all of that. And then there's a creative director that oversees how everything comes together as a collection. That's usually like how a design operation works. So head
0: designer is different from a creative director.
2: Usually, a creative director the oversees the, oversees the oh, entire okay. picture. Right. So the point I'm trying to make is, when I was talking to Rob Young about, what is your role at Saturdays? And he was like, he's doing basically all of that.
0: Oh my God. As a one-man
2: team. For like maybe for like four, five, what? six seasons, you were yeah, doing that yeah, by yeah. yourself? Like with no help. That shit is That's fucking crazy. crazy.
3: And how many nah, skews? Nah, don't, don't get me wrong. Like it was... The Learning. first, the first year, I had a hard time because I didn't have a lot of help yet. But after Asma came on, then we hired two—one technical designer and one production right. assistant. Right. And it became a little bit easier, but our hours were crazy. But like,
2: like how many skews were you making per season? Oh, this
3: is like nearly three hundred skews. Like, right. tell us
2: about what a skew is.
3: Skew is one. So skew is shelf keeping. Uh, shelf keeping unit Right, right? So, so it's meaning like One, like one Design piece, One piece So this right? is a skew
2: That's a skew right there So it's like How many skews You said
3: Nearly 300
2: 300 That shit is like Fucking Like Yo That's like That shit is incredible babe. Yeah. So You gotta make sure Everything Do you know how hard it is Just to fucking Print a t-shirt <laughs>
0: You know what I'm saying Yeah like, No for sure
2: For like one person To like Handle that For even one season Yeah that's fucking nuts. Yeah.
0: But you know what? too? that is a lot of work. It it's just so crazy to me cuz like I feel like a lot of Koreans who work in like the fashion district in LA there are people who do all of that. No, not exactly. But it's no, like such a yeah. small scale. But I mean, you're obviously seeing this like a mainstream more more or the the people who know who know scale right. but like you know like a lot of immigrants or people who like they kind of are they have the skill set to do that but sometimes they never get to a price range that right no that, totally i mean shout out to
2: everybody in the Jabba. yeah you know what i'm saying no, in but la that's crazy. but my point mm. is is like this is a gem for 6.99 is like yo when people say like i'm trying to get into fashion it's like why yo because i fucking buy cool clothes like yo because my, my daddy could afford my you know tuition and parsons ah ah, ah. it's like yo ma for shorty, for son. <laughs> Listen, this is the type of Always shit you gotta. A you gotta, you gotta. This is the type of shit you gotta deal with. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? This yeah. shit ain't easy work. It's yeah. not glamorous at all.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, especially if you're an immigrant. You especially know what I'm if, if you're immigrant. You know I, I
2: feel like you, know, like you gotta prove a little bit more. Yeah. You know what I'm it's like, yo, it's a lot of fucking work, man. Mm-hmm. That's a gem right
1: there, yeah. yo.
0: And you, so we skipped over some per- parts, but like, I know you were also had a stint at a company that like produced like one out of five, like. Of clothes, like a big, big company that produced, um that kind of sharpened your knowledge about the production side. Oh yeah, Li yeah. Fong. Yeah, so you were. T- so is that kind of how you also gained that knowledge? Yeah, and no,
3: Li Fong was a huge learning curve for me.
0: Yeah, and was this in between Zoo before Zoo?
3: This no, this is when Zoo got bought up for the second time.
0: Oh okay.
1: When Zoo
3: got bought up for the second time, uh, I got acquired by a licensing company called Case Headquarters. Okay. So, Zoo and uh, Echo got bought up by a company called Iconics and they license all their brands. Right. So, they have the right to all the brands okay. registered marks uh-huh. but then they don't make anything. Oh. So, they license all of that to all these other companies that that make all the product and then they sell it for them <clears throat> and then they just pay them a, a royalty fee at the end of the day. So, that's what Zoo ended up happening, right? And I believe it's still currently happening. And so, when, when that was happening the positives of it was that's when i learned how to actually cut and sew because mm-hmm. there was a sample room in the building that i could go into and the ladies working in there i could give them some samples because they love zoo stuff for some reason <laughs> and they would let me do whatever the fuck i wanted in the room with all the sewing machines and learning how to do mm. cover lock stitch yeah everything like that's where i learned how to do rub-offs and all the pattern making all of that and um
2: wow so you just literally learned it on the fly like yeah, as you as to. you progressed yeah, yeah yeah, that's incredible yeah yeah so i mean we talked pretty extensively about you know your uh uh your
0: illustrious your
2: your your career, career in the fashion <laughs> industry um as as well as your career in the skate industry but um
0: yeah but we have some wrap-up questions that we ask all of our guests mm. jakey do you want to start off with the first yeah one?
2: definitely um what is one significant um relationship That you've had in your life, and it doesn't have to be romantic and it could be, you know, career driven,
3: well, listen, life driven. Listen, fuck cliches, man. (laughs) Actually, that's probably my mantra, but you know what? Like,
0: (laughs) oh, we already got the mantra. Hey, listen,
3: fuck cliches because I'm gonna tell you what it wasn't until I met my wife that I realized who I was. Um, Hey, listen, I'm just, hey, listen, I'm gonna cry. Stop, stop. stop. I'm being serious. (laughs) Look, look, no, that's what's up, though. No, 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 but, but, but the reason why that's Actually really Really true And dear to my heart Is because You gotta meet the person That allows you to be you yeah. mm. Right And bring who you really are Out of Out of What's inside mm. Right Cause I'm gonna tell you this right now man When I got stuck into that Religious state of mind Christianity teaches you Look I'm not talking shit I'm just telling you What I went through In my experience When Christianity teaches you To To die to yourself And, and all that shit I I I took that as like, I shouldn't listen to the music that I want to listen to. I shouldn't wear the shit that I want to wear. I shouldn't express any of the things that I truly feel inside. Mm. And it wasn't until I met my wife, she was like, why are you killing yourself? Because you have so much more to bring out and to share Mm -hmm. rather than
1: this is nonsense yeah you're
3: you're suppressing all this shit right gotcha alright you wanna ask the last question the
2: mantra question yeah I mean
0: I know you already said that was your personal mantra fuck cliches (laughs) cliches. is it really yours that's I mean listen I don't think
3: I think of myself that highly to have a mantra but I mean if I'm gonna go with it right now that's what it is alright can you
0: give like a one kind of sentence of what that really means like fuck cliches
3: don't try to let what every narrative has been written out for you be your narrative be make your own narrative that's all
2: That's dope. That's tight.
3: That's
2: awesome. All right, y'all. So on that note, I'd like to say once again thanks to Rob Young, Mister Rob. Thank you for having me,
3: man. This was a blast.
2: Nah, for sure. And um, I like to like just say to all my listen, all the listeners of Six Ninety Nine Per Pound Podcast. Yo, fuck cliche. Find a beautiful opposite person that could like hold you down and um, let you get out of that fucking mentality of like putting yourself down and really be yourself. And um, on that note, man, um, don't get into the fashion industry because it's going to kill you. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: No, but yeah, follow us, subscribe, and rate us. And before we leave, can you give us a... Sh- uh, what's your Instagram handle? How can listeners find you? Oh, at
3: Limerian, L-I-M-E-R-E-A-N. Uh, that's it. I mean, yeah. that's, that's Check out here.
0: Rob Skating and very recently skating.
3: Sure. and
2: also I like to shout out to uh, listening party for letting us um record this special episode at Canal Street Market and um 99 per pound podcast is available in iTunes Stitcher and soon to be in your eardrums and earholes in every section of this world. 65 countries, you know what I'm saying? You know what that, you know what that symbolizes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? 65 countries, man, no doubt. And also um I like to shout out to the sponsors once again, Apple Cedra, uh, hot cha potato crackers, and lava wafers. You know what I mean? Well luck, USA. We love y'all. All right, peace.
0: peace.
1: Hey, yo, it's 6.99 per pound. Podcast.